This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey everyone, I'm Pauline from the blog GreatFinancialIndependence.com and when I'm not spending all my money biking around Europe, I'm stacking Benjamins in Guatemala. from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey there, money fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You'll never believe just how much fun it is being the announcer for this show. First, I get to tell you we have a great show today because we're sharing tips to travel for less and helping a listener who has a problem that only the Bloom Hotline can solve. Helping us on today's episode, please welcome the author of Control Your Retirement Destiny, certified financial planner, Dana Onspach. And from the Afford Anything podcast and blog, Paula Pant. And finally, from this here podcast, our own O-J-J-J-J-G. Plus, today, we welcome back the Evil HR Lady. Welcome back, Evil HR Lady, Suzanne Lucas. She'll help us with a listener problem at work. And now, because the best Fridays always start with geeky money discussions, they totally don't, but we're going to roll with it. Joe Salciha. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Stacky Benjamins. I am Joe Salcihi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And what a fantastic show we got. We Let's get into this. Let's walk over. Well, actually sitting here at the card table with me is the one and only other guy, or as we call him, OG. Man, welcome back. You let me come back. The uh, What show is this? Friday? This is Are we doing Fridays? Yes. Is this Friday? <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, you're on a Friday episode. Yeah, I can't keep track of it. And guess what? From the desert out in Las Vegas, we have Paula Pant from Afford Anything. Call me naive, but I don't think it was until this week that I realized that you guys actually drink during tapings. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought that was just a joke. I, I didn't Not realize you genuinely did it. How did you know we do today if you're on my dad's shortwave? Well, uh, your dad's shortwave has a Skype video connection. How about that? It's it's an amazing newfangled shortwave. Shortwave 2.0, Paula. Exactly. And guess what? The woman behind SensibleMoney.com, certified financial planner, Dana Onspach, joining us. Wow, it's awesome to be here. This is fun. I've listened to the podcast, and this is my first time here. And it's all downhill from here, isn't it? (laughs) I'm kind of (laughs) worried. It's going to be so bad. So you write for MarketWatch. I do, yeah. I started off as one of their retire mentors, and now I continue to contribute content once in a while. And you're also a financial planner. Where's your practice located? We're located in Scottsdale, Arizona, but we actually work with people all over the country. 
Yeah. Well, I'm so happy that you're here with us and we're ready to roll. Well, actually, you know what? Having you here with us, Dana, just added like four layers of credibility to the show. So (laughs) (laughs) glad I could help. Thank you very much. And today's show is uh, sponsored by LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the best place to find great talent for your hiring needs. That's LinkedIn. Businesses rate LinkedIn 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. For a $50 credit toward your first job post, visit linkedin.com slash SB. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to LinkedIn. We're also supported by MagnifyMoney.com. Everyone drives out of their way for a lower price of gas. How about using just a few keystrokes to find the best financial tools from checking accounts to reward cards, student loan refinancing to consolidation loans. Magnify Money saves the average person $450. Head to StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money for details. Oh, gee, you like $450 in your pocket. Well, it goes away just as fast as it gets in there, but, um, you know. When you got a family, right? Well, guess what? We got some some great headlines, a fantastic show. So let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. To make Dana feel comfortable, our first piece comes to us from MarketWatch. We thought we had to bring it home to you, Dana. (laughs) Thanks. I love this piece. Well, this piece is written by Chris Mamula. It's called, You Can Retire Early Without Adopting Mr. Money Mustache's Extreme Frugality. Paula, tell us what this piece is all about, because obviously people haven't read it. So uh, in this article, the author makes the point that Mr. Money Mustache is famous for living on a budget of $25,000 per year. And many people have the impression that in order to reach financial independence, you also have to live at that same standard. He lives at that standard for a family of three. The author of this article says that's not necessarily true. You can reach financial independence at any given standard. And the author of this article spends double that. He lives on uh, about about 50000 a year. Yeah, Dana, your whole practice is based on retirement planning. When you read this, I'm sure you get people in your office or people that you talk to that go, you know, this extreme retirement, that's not for me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, some people want to spend more each year, and that means working a little bit longer, focusing on making money rather than saving money. I think what I loved about the article is we all have different values, and it made that really clear. And the key is getting clear about your values, which might be different than your neighbors or different than the authors. And I just I loved the focus on making it relevant to what's important to you. But they make it really sound sexy, don't they? I mean, people that are part of this fire movement make it sound like, hey, guess what? I'm going to retire at age 27. I'm going to golf the rest of my life. It's going to be phenomenal. Yeah, I've seen those articles and, you know, they're inspiring to some degree, but when I read them, I always think, yeah, but that's not for me. I love to work. I actually love what I do. I guess I'm lucky, but I just retirement doesn't sound appealing to me at a young age. But OG, when we look at the difference between early retirement and just financial independence, I mean, you can say I can quit going to the office whenever I want and still keep working. I just had a call with somebody earlier today and they asked this question. Basically, I'm 40. Do I have enough money to retire? The answer is sure. It just depends on how much money you feel like spending in retirement. You know, when you're 27 and you've got a lifestyle that is that of a single 27 year old, it's going to be different than when you're 40 and have three kids, you know, for example, as a maybe a really close example that I know a lot about. <laughs> you know, there's just different, you know, you have different priorities and things like that. And the things you do when you're in your 20s are different. But uh, like Dana said, really financial independence is really about making sure that what you want to do is represented in your plan and not, you know, following this guidance because, you know, this person's on the internet or this person's on this podcast. 
you know, financial uh, planning and financial independence is really uh, unique to each person individually. Paula, you're famous for saying you can afford anything, just not everything. And I want to read a piece of this article that reminded me of you. It says, but unlike Mr. Money Mustache, very few people pay attention to their own personal spending. This is how the vast majority of Americans, from minimum wage earners to highly paid professionals, lock themselves into a similar narrative. Most follow the same script to going to do a job for 40 plus hours a week until age 60 or 70 then they retire. And this is reflected by the average American savings rate fluctuating between a whopping 3% and 5%. You've rejected this whole idea from the very beginning. Absolutely. First of all, I think that your income and your spending don't necessarily need to correlate with one another. And I think one of the uh, the problems that a lot of traditional online retirement calculators have is that they, they try to project out to replacing 85% of your income with the assumption, the built-in assumption that you spend at the level that you earn. Now, of course, if you're a low-income earner, you probably do have to spend most of what you make, but particularly at a higher income threshold, you have the opportunity to save more. I mean, the more you earn, the more savings potential you have. So uh, if you're a six-figure income earner, you could certainly continue to live like a a college student or maybe a, a notch or two above. Well, this is in your wheelhouse, Dana, because you're the author of a book, Control Your Retirement Destiny, Achieving Financial Security Before the Big Transition. And OG was just talking about living on different incomes. Do you see people make a big switch when they decide to turn off the income stream? Sometimes, you know, most often what we're solving for is maintaining a standard of living. I've had some people who, in order to make it work, had to make some big changes. One that sold their house and decided to do the RV lifestyle. And that made retirement affordable when it wouldn't have been if they actually wanted to maintain what they had been spending prior. So that's where it comes back to what's important to you. I see a lot of unconscious spending. I think Paula was touching on that a little bit. And, you know, you just kind of blindly get in your routine and you don't even pay attention to what you're doing and you're not really using your money to support your values. What are the big doozies you see people spend money on where they're not getting a lot of value? Oh, well, it could be anything from, you know, sometimes we buy fancy cars when we don't really care about that. It might be travel. I know we're going to talk about ways to save money on that. You know, it could be the Starbucks coffee. I mean, everyone talks about that. It could be if you're a girl, clothes, purse. You know, there's all kinds of things that sometimes we just think we should have it because our neighbor has it. I saw this great article. I wish I could remember where it was on how you used to be able to see someone's wealth by the amount of livestock they owned. You could go out and count their cattle. And uh, now we don't have a way to keep count. So what we do is compete on spending. Right. OG does that. He counts the number of cars in the driveway now, though, to see. Yeah. Well, here they've got a phrase that we use sometimes. It's called big hat, no cattle. (laughs) Right. right. So that, that talks about the person that, you know, got the big fancy hat, but uh, doesn't have a lot of cattle. So. Paula, what are some things people can do to maybe not get to Mr. Money Mustache's level of extreme, but, you know, meet this fire ideal halfway? First of all, I wouldn't necessarily say that Mr. Money Mustache's living standard is extreme. The, the 25000 that he lives on, that's with a fully paid off house. So that is a purely non-housing related spending money. If you think about that, his house is paid off, he's debt free. And I guess, Joe, that's also the answer to your question. If you pay off all of your debts, including your mortgage, that can naturally kind of reduce the amount of money that you need, both during your working career as well as in your retirement. First thing David Bach said, OG, at uh, FinCon when we asked him that question, difference between wealthy and non-wealthy people. And what do he say? He said people pay off their mortgage. One of the anecdotal things that I've noticed 
over the last decade or so is those who are more financially independent or getting closer to it or those who are in financial independence have a common theme and it's that they kept their housing expenses flat even as their incomes and their and their other things maybe increase right cost of tuition for kids or private school or something they still maintain that same housing expense and that afforded them the opportunity to be able to uh, save a lot more money and also to Paul's point pay the house off are there any particular pain points you see a lot of people have, Dana, when they're sitting maybe in their 50s and hoping like heck they can get away from work, but a pain point you see over and over that makes them not able to do that? I wouldn't say it's the same pain point. I mean, what I see is that people haven't actually run their numbers, so they don't know what's possible. And isn't that surprising, yeah. by the way? They're coming to you and they're in their 50s, in my analogy, because I used to see that all the time too, and they've done no numbers yet. No projections. And I think they're scared. You know, they're afraid of, it's going to be really bad news. And a lot of times when you can show people the possibilities, they're more willing to give up some things because if they really want out of that job, they go, OK, I'll figure out a way to reduce my spending if, if I can get out of here a few years earlier. Let's move on to our second piece, which comes to us from Money. This one's written by Alexis Bennett from InStyle. Ten easy ways to save on travel this year. And I thought being, you know, the end of January and a lot of us are, it's even cold here in Texarkana today. So I'm thinking about going even further south. But uh, let's talk about some of these. Paula, you are a travel guru yourself. What'd you like about this piece? Honestly, I wasn't a huge fan of this piece. I Great. thought a lot of it. Fantastic. I didn't like many of the recommendations, but uh, some of the websites that they mentioned that could help you compare flights. So uh, Momondo, they talked about, uh, Secret Flying, Airfare Watchdog. Some of those websites I thought were good recommendations. But that being said, I mean, some of their other tips, they mentioned, you know, currency exchange. I, I thought that was kind of a bogus tip. Don't bother exchanging your currency. When you go to a foreign country, make a withdrawal from the ATM. It'll be far, far cheaper than going to a currency exchange counter. So there, There's an offshoot of that, by the way, that I saw the points guy talk about. And mm-hmm. that was if you're flying on a foreign airline, change the airline to the the other country. So if you're flying Norwegian Air, as an example, change mm-hmm. it to Norwegian. I guess that's what they speak. No, I don't even know what they speak. Mm-hmm. In Is that bad? Uh, so, uh, change it to Norwegian. Use Google Translate to figure out the site. And because of the fact that you're going in a, in their home currency, you save like 15% on your tickets and your credit card will do the exchange. Have you seen that before, Paula? I had not heard that, but that is a very good tip. Similarly, when you are in a foreign country, especially in Europe, a lot of times when you give a, when you hand somebody a credit card, they'll ask you if you want to pay in euros or in U.S. dollars, if you have a card with no foreign transaction fees, pay in euros. Again, because, you know, you get the best deal when once you're in country. But when it comes to currency exchange fees, just sticking with you for a second longer, Paula, mm-hmm. you know, but you see these people, you travel a lot. So this is easy for you. But whenever mm-hmm. I go to an airport after I've gotten off a plane in France or in England or Tokyo, I see these long lines at the airport where people are exchanging currency. And I think that's like the worst place. That's the worst place ever to exchange currency. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I made that mistake once. It was when I was probably 19 or 20 years old. That was the one and only time I I didn't know any better. I exchanged currency at the airport and I got a terrible rate uh, because that's what happens when you go to a currency exchange counter. So yes, I have since learned 
Get a debit card that does not have ATM fees so that you can withdraw money from any ATM free of charge. I use Charles Schwab, but there are others. And get a credit card with no foreign transaction fee. Uh, Do those two things and you'll be ahead of the vast majority of people. Dana, let's skip the article. Your favorite way to save money on travel. Gosh, you know what I'm sitting here thinking is you guys must travel a lot more than me. (laughs) (laughs) What am I doing wrong here? Dana's busy busy taking notes, right? Yeah, exactly. I should be taking notes here. Um, I, what I thought was missing from the article, I know I'm going back to the article, but is the flip side of the coin is I wouldn't spend that much time trying to save money to me. I'd rather spend that time earning more. And, and I'm going to more than make up the difference in the amount of time that I would invest in trying to find the best deal or the lowest ticket. That's just the way I look at things. So I tend to look at my time as so valuable that I'm not going to spend three hours shopping for tickets or the best exchange rate. I'm just going to go, what's the fastest, easiest way to get this done? And if I, if it costs me a little more great, I freed up three hours where I can go make some money. Holy cow. Oh, gee, that sounds like you. Oh man. Yeah, we are. We are cut from the same. They're separated at birth. I'm I'm like going, all right, Dana's my new best friend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know about the saving money on travel thing either, to be honest, because because I'm, I'm with Dana. I just, you know, if I want to go somewhere, I'm going to pick it. There's some things here and there, right? Like, you know, you can be aware, for example, of how to maximize points. If you, if you kind of play that game, you can take a couple of extra seconds to, to be aware of the quote unquote value of, of a certain point currency, so to speak. The points guy you mentioned, Joe, has got a great tons of data on that to go through. The thing I like to do on the travel piece is make the experience better for me. I, I've just booked a number of trips that I'm taking over the first quarter. And instead of like looking for the cheapest flight, the first thing I did was went to Seat Guru and looked for the plane that I wanted to be on. And then I <laughs> said, oh, lay flats. Yeah, that's what I want to be on. <laughs> I'm clicking that one. And, you know, I fly at 9 o'clock instead of 10.15 or whatever, you get a better flight. But the thing is, is that, interestingly enough, it costs the same. And so you get a better experience, which I think maybe quasi makes you more relaxed when you're on vacation. Oh, I no. don't know. But, uh, Absolutely. But I still, you know, looking at point number five, and I'll link to these so people get the full list on our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. Know the cheapest times to fly, you know, not just for money reasons, but looking at my trip to Germany this fall, I also, I found Wednesday, like leaving on Wednesday just before Labor Day. So I got the whole Labor Day weekend, right? And I'm on a Wednesday, which is the cheapest day of the week to fly. And I also then, I'm in Germany in September when most of the American kids have already gone back to school. So I'm avoiding some of the rush. I mean, you guys must have, Paula, tell me you do stuff like that. Yes. I, I didn't know specifically about Wednesday. I've What I generally do is I'll go on flights.google.com and look at the calendar because if you can set flexible dates and then just see the matrix of when you get the cheapest tickets. So that's, that's what I do. And of course I also travel in the shoulder seasons or in the off seasons when, uh, not, not necessarily to avoid money, but just to avoid the rush and the crowd. Yeah, me too. What about, uh, this idea, sign up for travel rewards. Dana, do you use a travel reward card? I do. Well, through my Chase business account, if I buy tickets with points, they're actually 20% less. And so I was thinking that is my favorite way to save as I buy all my tickets through Chase. Yeah, that's a that's a great one. We get I use the American Airlines card because you can use any airline you want out of Texarkana as long as it's American Airlines. So we we we, we use that one and I get double points for it. And as long as you fly directly to Dallas. Right. And I could go anywhere in the world as long as I'm going to Dallas. As long as it goes through Dallas. (laughs) Uh, Nonstop anywhere as long as it's Dallas. 
Yeah. Right. Uh, Paula, you like number 10 here too, don't you? Skip the hotels. Yes, absolutely. I almost never stay at hotels unless unless I'm traveling for a conference. Uh, that's basically the only reason that I would ever stay in a hotel. Other than that, I mean, I love to go camping. So I'll sleep in a tent. I just bought a camper last summer, so I'll sleep in that. I've slept in the back of my car. And if I'm feeling really fancy, I'll get an Airbnb. I really, I started using Airbnb when we went to France a couple of years ago, and I absolutely love it. Dana, OG, you guys use Airbnb at all? I love Airbnb or any of the, you know, VRBO, any of the vacation rentals. I think they're great. And it's nice to be in a home with a yard and your own kitchen and relax instead of in a hotel room where you, you know, need to walk down to the lobby for a cup of coffee and you got to figure out how to put some pajamas on. (laughs) I I love the Airbnbs. That's not OG. He wants to be in the nicest. I was, like was going to say, does does the Four Seasons count as an Airbnb? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of the same thing, right? All right. So our takeaways on the fire movement, I guess, uh, not having to be like Mr. Money Mustache to get what you want from retirement and saving money on travel. Uh, Dana, you're the guest. We'll start with you first. Takeaways from the two pieces? Takeaways, yeah. You spend a reasonable amount of time looking to save money, but be cognizant of how much your time is worth. Paula? I would say, I'd say the chief takeaway is you can afford anything, but not everything. So be super clear about what your values are. I've never heard that from you before. (laughs) And OG? They took mine. (laughs) (laughs) Mine had to go last. That's that's so great. What they said. Yeah. (laughs) Ta-da. Right. Well, you've heard her on here a lot in the past. She hasn't been on in quite a while, OG, but the Evil HR lady's back. And uh, we had a great listener letter from our friend John, who had a specific question about the human resource situation that he's in. So let's uh, let's get her back. One of my favorite writers from evilhrlady.org, and she writes for Inc. Magazine, Suzanne Lucas. And coming back down to the bit, it's been a long time since she's been here. Suzanne Lucas, the evil HR lady, joins us. How have you been? I have been excellent. And yourself? We have missed you down here in the basement. Uh, I've missed you too. <laughs> and it's about time that we talked to HR because our friend John wrote us a note ages ago. We've been so busy with everything else that it's been just, just crazy. John has a question specifically for you, Suzanne which is this. He said he's currently working at a large independent oil and gas company in Oklahoma City where he does long-term planning, worker B level. And he had a colleague pass a new opportunity to him to become a vice president of a smaller company. That's cool. He has a meeting to speak with them about the position. He could spell out the details of his current role more, he said, but let's say that the potential work I'd be doing seems more attractive and a better step for my career development. Aside from that, though, here's my question. When you, Suzanne, have provided guidance to people on job-related changes, what are some of the functional things I should be considering? What are the pitfalls people normally miss? What do you hear that people most often regret about the decision? That's a that's a great question before you walk into maybe a grass is greener situation. What do you think? It is, and he's wise to think about those things because a lot of people just like, ooh, better title, better salary, awesome. But there are things to think of. And the first thing... I would ask him to think about is he said he's worker B level. So I'm guessing he doesn't manage other people. And this new job is vice president level, which unless the company is super duper tiny, 
I'm guessing he'll be managing people. My question that I would want him to think about a lot is, do you want to manage people? Because turns out not everybody does. Right. Yeah. And we all think we do. Yeah. And we want to be promoted, but yeah. Yeah. Instead of doing the job, whatever John's job was, you're no longer doing the job. It's like, you've got to have a whole different set of skills now. Right. Because doing is so much different than managing depending on the size of the staff. And, you know, if he said it's a small company, it may just be him and one other person or whatever. And then that's a different kind of managing. But if he's got 10 or more people under him, he will do no work work. You know, whatever the day to day is, he won't do any of that. He will strictly be policy and managing people. That's awesome. If you like it, not so awesome if you don't. But don't go into it thinking it's going to be the exact same job. So I think of the role of vice president from worker B level as being kind of a prestigious move. So that's one cool thing. The other thing I think people look at is possibly, probably a pay increase. That's good. But I think there's also other things you should be considering, though, aren't there, Suzanne? Absolutely. Because let's talk about time. The worker B level, you may be working eight to five and on a bad day, you're out at five thirty. When you're the boss, you may be essentially working 24-7. I mean, you can go home and all that, but you'll be expected to do a lot more off the clock. And there might be more travel and more fires to be put out and a lot more meetings, a lot less doing. All of those things can be a very different lifestyle. You know, I don't know whether this guy is married with kids, but his spouse okay with him no longer coming home at five o'clock and coming home at eight and missing dinner. Does her job go with that? You know, somebody's got to feed the kids dinner and get their homework done. Um, And if he's been doing that as a worker B level and she can't change her job, if she's not been a worker B level, you know, that's going to wreak havoc on the family, which is okay. You know, you could always hire a nanny, but you've got to, You've got to think about that before you make the decision. So you want to think about how will this affect my life and is the increase in money worth it? And how much increase in money is it really? Because by the time you even get what looks like a big raise, it doesn't necessarily translate into more money in the actual paycheck. Yeah, I mean, no, I totally know what you mean. And I also think about, well, I think about a couple of things. Number one, I remember when I was a financial planner, it was like that. And it really can be a strain on your family. We would go on family vacations and I had to have an hour a day while we were on vacation where I really wasn't on vacation. So John might be stepping into the same type of role. And that was frustrating. While my family's off enjoying something, I'm stuck on the phone for an hour, making sure that, that life lines up, but that came with the job, right? But what what about benefits? I mean, benefits comparison, I think, is often apples to oranges as well. It is. And especially if he's in a a big company going to a small company. I mean, that can be all kinds of crazy different. I mean, I realize that Affordable Care Act changed everything up. But still, if you work for a big company today, you can have the old PPO or HMO plan where you have a $25 copay and no deductible. You know, when I had my kids, both of my kids' total cost was under 300 bucks because I worked for one of those monster-sized companies. You work for a small company, and there's no way you're getting that deal. 
So yeah. when you're looking at your salary increase, you also need to look not only at the cost increase in benefits, but what kind of plan are you going to be able to get? You know, if you work for the big company, you know, I can see any doctor, any hospital, whatever, you know, because it was an awesome plan. Small company, do you get to keep your doctor? You know, <laughs> if you want to, can you? Or do you have to change? And is the hospital that's closest to your house usable for you? Or if your kid breaks his leg and you take him to the emergency room, is it going to cause you to go bankrupt because it's out of network? You know, those are things that people don't necessarily think about. They look at the salary offer and go, woohoo, you know, this is a $5,000 increase. But if that $5,000 is also <laughs> going to come with a $5,000 increase, yeah, a lot more responsibility and no more money. That's what I'm looking for. That's right. Although, to be honest, that's not necessarily a bad thing because he could take a lot more responsibility with not a lot more money in the final paycheck, work that job for a couple of years, and then having the VP title on his resume could more easily land a higher level job in the big company, not necessarily the same one, but in another one. So we don't laugh at people for going back to school to gain knowledge and experience. And we shouldn't laugh at people who are willing to take something that's not necessarily financially better just to gain the experience. Well, let's, uh, before, before we have to go, I'm looking at the time. I wanted to talk about your site, evilhrlady.org, which is awesome. What's going on over there right now? Well, in a short while, I am headed to Abu Dhabi. Oh my goodness. I know to give us a talk about the end of talent. So stay tuned. Wow. The end of talent. Yes, sir. You're saying there's no more talent. Talent is over. I am saying that talent is a stupid way to hire. That's your preview. I love that. I can't wait to hear more. So cool. So (laughs) we'll link to evilhrlady.org on our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. Suzanne, thanks for hanging out again. Thanks for letting me into the basement. Woohoo! Anytime. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it's time for the best part of this podcast, my trivia. It's Paul Newman's birthday, and talk about a guy who knows a thing or two about money. Between salad dressings to race cars to acting, Newman stacked a lot of Benjamins. Here's something you may not know. What Newman film adjusted for ticket price inflation earned the most money? I'll be back with the answer right after I tell Joe's mom to stop practicing clogging while I'm trying to podcast. Big thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Have you ever tried to hire somebody? If you have, you know it's hard. If you haven't, let me tell you, it's awfully hard because you're sitting in an interview and some people are just great talkers, but what you really want are doers. And it's difficult to know from an interview alone if somebody is the right person or if their resume is correct. So you post to these job boards and you hope you're going to find the right person. But if you think about it, how often do you check job boards? For most people, it's a pretty occasional thing. But there is a place where people go daily to grow professionally and explore job opportunities. In fact, 70% of the U.S. workforce lives there. So that's obviously where you want to be, LinkedIn. You already know LinkedIn is the world's largest professional network. Well, it's also a better way to find great talent. Just ask any of the hundreds of thousands of businesses who posted LinkedIn jobs over the past year. 
22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week. And because LinkedIn considers skills, experiences, location, and more to match and promote your jobs to potential candidates, businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. A business is only as strong as its people and every hire matters. So don't settle for posting and hoping the right person will find your role and apply or that you're just going to find the right talker, right? You want a doer. Go to linkedin.com slash SB and get a $50 credit toward your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash SB for your $50 credit today. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, stackers, we get used to those same daily routines, don't we? Wake up at the same time every morning, brush our teeth, park the car in the same spot at work every day, recite jokes in the mirror to be funnier than that jerk of the water cooler, or... Is that what just me? Here's one thing you shouldn't make routine using the same credit card from the same bank, just because that's what you've always done. Nick Clements from Magnify Money explains why. I mean, it's never been a better time, honestly, to find a credit card, especially given the lucrative sign-on bonuses that are out there. Chase just recently had a hundred thousand on their reserve card. I, I think we're at a point right now where credit cards are extremely profitable for large banks and they are really wanting to get more customers. And so they're they're rolling out the red carpet. So I would just say, if, if you have had a credit card for more than two or three years, chances are there's a much better deal out there for you today. So why stick with that same old card with those rewards that haven't changed in years? You can use magnifymoney.com to always find best in class, including better interest rates. And don't only use Magnify Money for credit cards. Nick and the team have built the site from the ground up to help with personal loans, student loans, and mortgages. Average person saves $450 in interest when they hit stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney. Hey there, Money Nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. It turns out Joe's mom wasn't clogging upstairs. She was just stomping because she was angry that Barbara, a.k.a. contestant number two on the Wheel of Fortune, actually wasted money buying a vowel. I'm with Joe's mom. Why waste all that money, Barbara? Keep that 250 in your pocket. Just solve the damn puzzle already. Well, here's your puzzle, peeps. What film featuring Paul Newman brought in the biggest stack of Benjamins? Adjusted for inflation, of course. If you said 1977 Slapshot, <laughs> that would be so funny. <laughs> yeah, okay. We love hockey here in the basement, too, but maybe you've taken one too many pucks to the forehead because the right answer is 1973's The Sting, which, adjusted for inflation, brought in over $796 million. Not a bad payday, Mr. Newman. Nice work. Which reminds me, I gotta go ask Joe and OG for a raise. This job is exhausting. See ya! Swing and a miss by all three of our contestants. OG, what's what happened? I don't even know who Paul Newman is. The only person <laughs> named Newman that I know of is the guy from Seinfeld. Paula, you, you, you knew Paul Newman. You were all about I, Paul I, Newman. I knew him as the salad dressing guy. It's only now that I'm discovering that he had any career outside of pasta sauces and... The grocery aisle. But Dana, I was very happy that you were here for this one because you were the one person on this whole crew that actually had a guess. Well, I had a guess thanks to Google. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with Paula on this one. He makes a delicious uh, creamy Caesar Mm. dressing. But otherwise, we're not aware of anything else that he's done lately. Oh, oh, oh. Looks like somebody needs our help. All three of those O's are sponsored by Bloom, Smart Simple 401k Management. 
It's that time of year again. We all make good-natured New Year's resolutions, hoping to change our lives for the better. Then February hits. Can't even spell New Year's resolutions. Well, this year's different. Make a resolution to get your retirement on track and fix your 401k with Bloom. That's Bloom with three O's. Sounds tough? It's not. In fact, it only takes five minutes. Go online to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Bloom to find out more. With Bloom, you can simply connect your existing 401ks in a few easy steps, then sit back and relax while Bloom performs an unbiased analysis of the funds in your account and chooses the best mix to meet your goals while minimizing hidden investment fees. Bloom researches, invests, manages, monitors, and grows your 401k while you relax. Bloom is a robo-advisor for your 401k. It's so simple. In fact, the hardest part about this is remembering there's three O's in Bloom. Go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Bloom and enter promo code SB for your first month free and see the difference Bloom can make for your retirement. Today, calling out to the Bloom hotline is our new BFF, Kara. Say hey, Kara. Hi, Joe and OG. Happy New Year. This is Kara. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about employee stock option plans. I've worked for a small manufacturing company for about 15 years, and the owners of the company have recently mentioned that when they retire, maybe as early as five years from now, they don't have any heirs, nobody to turn the company over to, so they want to utilize employee stock option plans somehow. I don't really know how that works, and that's what I'm wondering, if you guys have any experience or knowledge in how those get set up and what that might mean for me and the future of the company. So really love to know where to start looking and what to start looking into to find out what I need to know and what questions I need to ask. Would be great if you have any information to pass on. Thanks. Thank you for the question, Kara. And uh, Dana, let's start with you. This is a question really about passing on a company when you've got no heirs. What do you think? Yeah, it is. I think it's a great exit strategy for a lot of small businesses. From the employee perspective, what you need to know is it's regulated by all of the same rules that govern 401k plans. So your employer can't make up the price of the stock and they can't just, you know, on a whim decide how this is going to work. There are a lot of rules that they have to follow to set this up. So they're essentially giving you stock that goes into an account that operates just like your 401k. So you have a vested interest in the company continuing to grow. The stock has to be formally valued each year. So you don't have to worry about them you know, doing anything funny with the stock price. And when you leave the company or retire, you typically cash it in. So you've accumulated worth based on the growth of the company, and then you get cash, and it can roll over to your IRA and help you fund your retirement. Let's go from that. I'm not sure if Kara has like an inside track with the owners to maybe help them set this up. Uh, oh, gee, is this the best way to transfer a company over to the employees? Well, I'm not sure that it's the best way or the worst way. It's a way. And like Dana said, it's not something that can be just thought up on a Thursday afternoon and implemented by Friday payroll. It's regulated by the feds in terms of all the documentation that has to happen. We usually see this a lot. I think, Dana, you'd probably agree, too, with companies that have a lot of excess cash flow, because one of the uh, things that you have to be aware of when these are in place is that the company has to be able to fund it. You know, they've got to be able to wait to you know, if you retire and you own $100,000 worth, they've got to be able to write you a check to buy it back, basically. But it sounds like a, a fantastic way, I guess, especially for a small company that's got some maybe pretty loyal employees and, and the owners are looking for a way to uh, both exit the business on their own, kind of sell their interest to their employees effectively. It's a great way to receive bonuses as, as instead of having it be um, taxable, right? You're going to get it in a, in a qualified plan. So uh, we see yeah. a lot of these from time to time. 
You know what you said, it, they are usually sound companies that are setting these up as an exit strategy. It costs usually a minimum of about $40,000 in fees just as a starting point to get your employee stock option plan in place. So this is usually something where a lot of thought and a lot of time was put in. Most owners evaluate a lot of different ways to slowly exit out of the company. They want the employees that are vested in the success of the company. I own my own company. It's like your baby. You want to see it go on. You want to find a way that the people that work there can continue to be happy. And so you spend a lot of time looking for the right way to exit out. Paula, let's look at it from Kara's point of view as the employee. She's got these new stock options. What does she do with them? How does she decide to create a plan to cash these things in? Well, I think the the first question is, what is her plan for her own career, for her future? Because uh, her plan for what to do with the stock options uh, is is secondary to whatever her plan is in terms of how long is she going to be with the company. And that's really the starting point. The other question that I would ask, um, the, the thing that I, I don't know the answer, but the thing, if I were her, I would want to get really good clarification on is what are the tax consequences to all of this? Um, yeah, that's a great question, Paula. You know, typically it's just like the 401k. So when the company makes contributions in terms of stock to the plan, you're not taxed as an employee it grows tax deferred, just like an IRA or a 401k account would. And you're not taxed until you actually take a distribution. So at retirement, if they're cashing in your stock, that cash can come back into the plan and you still have the option to roll it over to an IRA. And so you're just taxed on it slowly as you take it out. Mm. Thanks for the question, Kara. If you've got a question for the Bloom Hotline, just head to stackybenjamins.com and you'll find at the top of the page, it says questions for the show. Click on that link and you'll see very quickly how to get to the Bloom Hotline. And we're sending Kara a t-shirt of the greatest uh, money show on earth, the circus that's the Stacky Benjamin Show t-shirt. And we also get letters down here. Doug just delivered the mail and today's letter comes to us from Chris. Chris says, hey, Joe and OG, love your show. And if I had friends, I'd tell them about it. (laughs) Chris is one of our people. Cash is king, in quotes. But when do you pay down debts versus hold on to the cash? I've been aggressively paying down student loans for nine years that have been able to eliminate about $80,000. Wow. I still owe about $100,000, however. Uh Uh-oh. I've paid off all the 8.5% interest rate loans. My current student loans range between 75 and 5.23%. My total monthly payment is a very manageable $830. After hearing about SoFi a couple of years ago from your podcast, I attempted to refinance. However, it seemed nearly impossible since I was self-employed. As far as other debts, I have two zero-interest vehicle loans with monthly payments exceeding $1,000 and a mortgage on a rental property that's cash flow positive and at 3.5%, no credit card debt. Business has been good, and I have the $150,000 in cash to pay off all my student loans and my vehicles, but I'm worried about the loss of opportunities if I deplete my cash reserves. Furthermore, I like the option being able to buy a house in the future. However, I'd need all that cash for a down payment to avoid PMI. My gut tells me to pay off the student loan at 7.5% and then just make payments on the rest of my debt and continue to allow the cash to work for me, but there'd be a satisfaction to be debt-free. Ironically, I feel like getting debt-free is the quick gratification, but not the financially sound thing to do. As far as my investments, I've been fairly conservative. I invest in Vanguard index funds, mostly the S&P 500. My other investments include short-term private mortgages, first positions with 40% equity cushion for an 8 to 10% return. Any advice would be appreciated. All right. Conservative investing. 
a lot of very, very conservative. Yeah. When your first position on a, on a short term, 500 and lending strangers money. Got well, it. compared to, you know, cryptocurrency, right. which by the way, <laughs> I'm broke. Right. I don't know. It's, Got to take up a collection for OG's Bitcoin account. <laughs> Apollo, what do you think here? Does he pay down his debt and get rid of the cash? Does he leave it for a down payment on his house? How would you advise him? I would first and foremost continue to pursue the refinancing possibility. I know that he mentioned that he tried to refinance with SoFi a couple of years ago and he wasn't able to do so. But first of all, that was a couple of years ago. So uh, he might be able to refinance now if he's had more years under his belt of solid self-employment income. And number two, SoFi is not the only company out there, but given the interest rate on his loans, I would I would start there. Dana, what would you add? Oh my gosh. So I only have questions for him. I have no answers. <laughs> I, I'm listening to that and I thought, well, how old are you? How much do you make? What's your tax rate? What's your time frame? You know, do you fund any tax deductible plans? Do you have a Roth? How much do you spend each month? Do you have any kids? You know, all of those factors contribute to how much he should keep in reserves. If it's just him and he's a single guy and young, you know, and his income's stable, maybe he doesn't need as much in cash reserves. If he's got a family to support and income that varies or could lose his job, I'd want to see him hold on to his cash. So that's the long answer. Is well, just, I've got more questions. Well, let's it's spoken like a CFP right there. But, I was going to say that's, that's the CFP answer. <laughs> but but let's just peel off one piece of this onion, Dana. You've got somebody that's $150,000 sitting in cash. And let's just break it down to one question. Put that money toward the down payment versus use that money to eliminate debt. Upsides, downsides of either one of those. Um, I, I agree with his gut. I'd pay off the higher interest rate debt and I'd still want to preserve the rest of my cash. I mean, if it's going to completely wipe out his cash reserves to put down on a house, I wouldn't do it. What happens when something goes out on the house? Now you're out of cash. Because it's going to happen, OG. The, the second he puts all that money down in the house, I'm with Dana, something bad happens the second he makes that move. Well, and he said a couple of things there that, you know, we just have to kind of make up answers to. One of which he said, there's 150000 in cash. And he's got some car loans in there at 0%. I don't have a problem with that. It's at 0%. Keep those at 0%. I get that the cash flow would be better used somewhere else, but whatever. 0% is free money. The 80000 to pay off the student loans out of the 150, I'd probably write the check and be done with it. Business is great, he said. What's the point of hanging on to it? He said he's got two years. Isn't that what he said? Two years in the house? Or in a couple of years, maybe I might want to buy a house. That's pretty noncommittal. I can guarantee that this year he's going to get $5,000 in interest charged as student loans. So pay off the student loans. And, um, you know, if it means that you got to wait another six months or a year beyond your two-year goal to get the house purchased, so be it. And there's a thousand other ways to get around PMI too, just like there's many ways to refinance it if you can't re if you can't refinance it, which I'm sure that he should be able to do that. Paula, you don't think he should just throw that 150000 in his cash reserve in Bitcoin, call it a day? In Bitcoin? Is that, was that what you asked? Yeah, well, Bitcoin's so blasé. We need to use like Ripple or one of the other ones now, right? Stay away from <laughs> Bitcoin. Go with one of the other ones. You know, not not only should he do that, I think he should actually uh, leverage into it. He should nice. open a margin account. The 3x Bitcoin fund? Yeah, right? absolutely. Get on Coinbase. <laughs> and put it all on your travel reward credit card. That's how, Dana, that's how you save money on travel, isn't it? That's how you do it. Yeah, use that Chase card to put it all in Bitcoin. <laughs> 85% of the price. Yeah. 
that's that's great. Thanks for the question. If you've got a question for us, obviously we'd like you to use a Bloom hotline if possible. But either way, head to stackybenjamins.com and you'll see questions for the show. Thanks also to everybody who's left a review of this podcast. And I love, <laughs> love Dana, I love the people that review our show because they have our sense of humor. This review mom's putting on her refrigerator and it comes from E. Mergen C. E, the letter E, Mergen, the letter C. Five stars, greatest transitions podcast ever. Learn to seamlessly transition between completely unrelated topics with the transition master, Joe, and his evil nemesis, OG. Incidentally, Joe sounds a lot like Kai Rizdahl from Marketplace. Wow, how about that? I'll take that. So the financial filler in between transitions feels familiar and comfortable. The best part of the show is the headlines, not the actual stories themselves, but the voice of the woman who announces the headline sections coming up. You will learn nothing from this podcast and enjoy every minute of it. It's fantastic. Thank you for the review. And mom's so proud. She's putting that on the fridge. Let's find out what's going on where all of you kids live. Apollo, what's happening at that crazy Afford Anything podcast? On the Afford Anything podcast, we have an Ask Paula and Farnoosh episode coming up. Cool. Where my friend Farnoosh Tarabi, the host of the So Money podcast, joins me in answering questions that come from the audience. You kick that loser who usually helps you to the curb. I like that. Yeah, he's so fired. That guy is horrible. I don't know. I mean, that that guy told everybody to invest in Bitcoin. That's that's all he did. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's all I did. I mean, he did. Yes. <laughs> right, right. Oh, gee, if people want uh, more from you, where do they find you to get on your calendar? Oh, more from me, just uh, Monday and Wednesdays with you. <laughs> Monday, every Monday, Wednesday, back here. In Monday, Mom's Wednesday, basement. back here. You got it. Dana Onspach, thanks a ton for hanging out with us today. It's been a ton of fun. So let's talk about your book for a second, Control Your Retirement Destiny. Tell everybody what that's about. So it's really for people who are in that 50 to 70 age range, and they're looking for a plan to help them transition out of retirement. It's got amazing reviews on Amazon. When people ask me what I think of it and how it's doing, I go, I I judge by how the public judges. I'm completely honored by what people have to say about it. So it's very thorough. It lays everything out step by step. So if you want to figure out how to lay out your own plan, that's where you go. And you find it just on Amazon or anywhere? Amazon. That's the best place. Awesome. Yep. yep. And you know what? We'll link to it on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. And then if people want to reach you about financial planning, how do they find you? Best place to start is our website, sensiblemoney.com. Awesome. And we'll have a link there also. All right, Doug, take it from here. What should we have learned today? Hey, Joe and OG, why don't you two get back to buying vowels, amateurs? I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, thinking about early retirement, you can retire early and don't have to make your own furniture to do it. Pick a day and work backward. Then cut whatever you need to reach your goal. If you're motivated and lean on tax strategies and maximizing your income, early retirement can be for you. Second, paying down debt? Focus on your highest interest rate first, remembering that maybe securing better cash flow might help you pay down cards faster and paying down low balance debts might help you stay excited about becoming debt free. But the big lesson? Don't be the one trying to convince Joe's mom to calm down about Barbara on the Wheel of Fortune buying unnecessary vowels. Who knew she could ground me when I'm just the guy who lives next door? Jeez, I'm grounded for a week. How did that happen? Special thanks to Dana Onspock for helping us with today's podcast. You'll find Dana's book, Control Your Retirement Destiny, wherever books are sold. 
Suzanne Lucas, a.k.a. the Evil HR Lady, can be found at EvilHRLady.org. Or you can follow her on Twitter at Real Evil HR Lady. Paula Pant appears courtesy of AffordAnything.com. When you're done messing around with us, who do you want to teach you some money tricks? That nerd who talks over your head or your favorite basement-based geeks? Kathleen Selmans operates our Stacking Benjamins classroom. And to make up for the fact that we don't teach you anything here on the show, she's created a whole lot of tools you'll absolutely love. Head to learn.stackingbenjamins.com for details. And use coupon code DOUGROCKS for 10% off. Yeah, you're welcome. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and if you could only know what it really smells like down here. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. What are you still doing here? The show is over. Go home. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. Here's the rules if you're new to the Stacking Benjamin show. What happens in the after show stays in the after show. We don't talk about it. If you have to talk about it, which sometimes people mess up, that's okay as long as you call it dessert. If you have to talk about dessert, we'll understand. That's our code. This is Fight Club. I thought thought what we should do today because Paula kept saying, let's talk about movies. Paula kept bothering me ahead of time saying, let's talk about movies because I really want to talk about movies. Didn't you, Paula? Specifically Paul Newman movies. <laughs> Those are my favorite. <laughs> we could talk Paul Newman movies. That'd be perfect. We do more of that. But I was wondering, you know, we talk about movies, OG and I, a lot on Monday, Wednesday. And I was just wondering from you and Dana and OG, like what your favorite money related movie would be. So Paula, why don't we start with you? Oh, dear. Uh-oh. Okay, I'm trying to think of any money-related movie that I've seen. I saw one called The Money Pit, which was about yeah, two yeah. people who bought a house that needed a bunch of repair. Time Honestly, I didn't really like day. it that much, though. No, not that wonderful. So I would, it was a comedy. Yeah. Theoretically, it didn't really make me laugh, though. 
So I would call that a, a money movie that I have seen, comma, mediocre. So, so not your favorite, but one that you've seen. That movie, though, is somebody that owns rental real estate. It, it's kind of a horror movie for you, isn't it? <laughs> not really. Actually, I was, look, I was watching the movie and I was like, eh, eh, par for the course. You're like, uh, I could have done better than that. I, I would have yeah. never bought that house in the first place. I mean, I think with that movie, so the premise of the movie is couple buys house, house falls apart, couple repairs house, somebody makes a cliche about having a strong foundation, everybody lives happily ever after. That's the movie right there. Spo- you should have said spoiler. <laughs> That's how you really feel. I know. And you just made fun of Dana's favorite movie. That was your favorite movie, wasn't it, Dana? <laughs> well, The Wolf of Wall Street, right? Isn't that a lot like, is there's another one called Boiler Room? Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a great one. Yeah. The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, it's got to be my favorite money movie. Just as I was saying, I was in the business in the late 90s and, and worked for a brokerage firm. And I was in Colorado and it was just crazy. And that movie, I, I just thought, wow, I thought it was crazy where I was at. Look at what was going on. And just the excess, you know, what money can do when you let it go to your head. It's just nuts. And, and do people realize there are people out there that really think look at your money like that. Like all they're trying to do is take your money from you. I mean, really, there's still people out there like that today. So just be careful. So I, that's, I love the movie. It makes all those points. So what you're saying is that's not how you do business at Sensible Money. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> God, I hope not. <laughs> My favorite part of that movie is when uh, Jonah Hill is talking to him at the restaurant, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, the restaurant. He goes, hey, is that your car out there? And he's like, oh, yeah, it's my car. You know, he's just like, how much money do you make? And he goes, oh, I don't know, like $75,000 this month. And the guy goes, you show me a check for $75,000 and I quit my job and I'm going to work for you right now. He goes, okay. And he opens up his briefcase and he pulls out a check stub for $75,000. He's like, I'm, I'm with you. Whatever you're doing, I'm in. I'm with you. <laughs> that is, that is so, Paula, you haven't seen The Wolf of Wall Street. I have actually seen The Wolf of Wall Street. And? I don't, I don't have such a good memory of it, though, as you do. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe my movie retention. The only thing I really remember is uh, midget throwing. Right. That's right. I forgot about that. Oh, man. (laughs) That's basically the only uh, recollection I have of that film. All the excess drugs and alcohol and, you know, oh, the jail part. That was, there's that too. Or you get arrested. There's a jail scene? I I vaguely remember. He gets arrested. Well, yeah. He'll be getting arrested. I vaguely remember a stripper who, uh, who was investing a lot. I remember that, and I remember midgets. That's all I recall. <laughs> it sounds like the opposite that. of a congressional testimony, doesn't Paul, it? <laughs> Paul, Paula's whole recollection of the movie is strippers and midgets. That's, that's it. <laughs> that was about it? That's, that's it. That's, yeah, spoiler, once again, <laughs> two-and-a-half-hour movie boiled down to that. OG, how about you? I have two, and they're both off the beaten path because, you know, there's all the normal money ones like Wall Street, whatever. Brewster's Millions, which I think is one of the greatest movies relating to money of all time, right? So the premise of that movie is he stands to inherit $300 million, but in order to inherit it, he has to spend $30 million in the next 30 days and he can't tell anybody what he's doing and he has to totally blow it. He can't buy, he can't go buy a rental property or something. He has to consume $30 million. The, The concept is he'll hate spending money so much that he'll stop doing it. Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor. Yeah. He bought an iceberg. To tow to Africa so that the people in Africa could have fresh water. That was one of the things. Anyway, it's just, you know, it's Richard Pryor, super funny. So uh, so that's a really funny one. Well, and wait a minute. Sec- w- w- wait a second. Paula, do a synopsis of Brewster's Million for us. 
All right. Well, uh, Rooster's Million. Guy has to spend a lot of money, decides to bring water to the desert. So you haven't seen this one. Oh, wait. It's, it's Rooster's I, I... with a B. Oh. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. I literally just repeated uh, exactly. what he said. Yes. I see. Yes. I, I, I thought you were asking me to summarize the previous movie description. Train wreck. That's, that's this. My second one that's a little off the beaten path is called The Joneses. It's a movie with uh, David Duchovny. I have seen this one. Demi Moore. It's a not a drama. What's the word I'm looking for? It's um, where you make fun of like you're not making fun of it. A, you're playing a like a satire almost. Satire. There or, you go. Yeah. Exactly, exactly right. So basically, the movie is they are marketing experts, mm-hmm. and they move into a neighborhood, and their whole goal. So they have a fake family with fake kids, and they move into the fancy house, and they are there to drive consumption in that subdivision and so he becomes like best friends with everybody he joins the country club he gets a new set of golf clubs now everybody else wants a new set of golf clubs he gets a new audi now his buddy gets an audi and everybody's trying to keep up with and so they always have parties and everybody's like they have the nicest stuff but every week they have a meeting with their marketing manager and they can track consumption in the neighborhood and they're like hey good job on men's apparel you know, you did a good job this week on that. What did you do? And he's like, oh, you know, I won the club championship. So everybody wants to have new new golf clubs, the ones that I use. Mm, that's and it's, I, it's, it's a terrible ending, right? The movie mm-hmm. is just really kind of... You, it's you sad. Yeah. What that can do to people. And that's the point of it, I think, is, you know, you don't... And then, you know, I won't tell you it ends, but um, yeah. uh, great, great flick. It's probably about 10 years old now. Okay, um, yeah. I just can't believe we talked about what four movies and Paula's seen two of them. What the hell's up with that, Paula? Oh, you mean I, I've seen The Money Pit, which is the one that I brought up, <laughs> oh, good, as well as the Joneses. Point. As well as the Joneses, that's true. You've, you've seen. The, I will uh, the Joneses. I will. I will second that re- recommendation. That was. Oh no! Wait a minute. You, you you saw The Wolf of Wall Street too. Oh, that's right. I've seen three yeah, movies. That's right. Whoa! I'll go back to the the original Wall Street. I mean, that was. I was just. Uh, I was. That made me so excited about getting into the world of finance. I just thought that that was good. Blue Horseshoe loves um, Anacom Steel. How many yachts can you water ski behind? Yeah, (laughs) interesting movie. And then I was so excited when the second one came out. I thought that was going to be an amazing movie, and it was horrible. Oh, that was so bad. Yeah, it was terrible. All right, guys. Thanks for playing. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is... Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate, and you'll see all 
of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.